Good to see you this morning. Good to be here. I'm going to begin by sharing from a website called Church in Chains. Again, about Pastor you might have heard me mention last week, Pastor John Cow, C-A-O. Pastor John has not allowed any visitors other than his lawyers currently in prison in China for the word, one of whom, Yang Hui, is reported that the pastor is experiencing several health issues, including digestion problems, back pain, and toothache, and has lost more than 23 kilos. The lawyers report that Pastor John was refused a Bible until September 2018. So he searched through the prison library for Bible passages, finding them in unexpected sources, including Nietzsche's essays and Uncle Tom's cabin. He copied any he found onto unfolded toothpaste boxes and did the same for hymns, finding and copying the lyrics of Amazing Grace, Silent Night, and Away in a Manger, Joy to the World. Pastor John eventually got a Bible in September 2018 with the help of his lawyers who reported that his eyes filled with tears when he touched it for the first time. Such are stories of those in prison on account of the Word of God. Getting the Bible is a treasure, is a joy. If you follow the movement of God around the world, you see places in China, you see places like Iran, other places in Southeast Asia. People are having dreams where they're meeting missionaries. They have a name or a face. God tells them to go to a place. When they get to that place, they get to that person where they're told in the dream, they find that person, that person ends up giving them a Bible, and they end up hearing about Jesus Christ for the first time. You can find plenty of videos online of Christians in home churches receiving the Bibles in their own language for the first time, being given a personal copy of the Bible, of their own Bible, in their own language for the first time, and seeing them weep and wave it in the air and praise God for having a copy of His Word. You can find many of these videos online. My hope today is just really one thing, to have you leave here with your affections for God's Word raised, to have your affections like that of John, like those so many around the world, and like maybe you at one time had yourself but have lost, or maybe you in your own experience have never really felt about God's Word, a joy for it, a longing for it, a desire for it, a love for it. This is kind of one of those weird weeks in the year where typically we we don't preach on what we're going through Scripture, so we're not preaching on the book of Revelation, which is our book series. Christmas technically ended yesterday, although there was someone this morning, I won't name who, but plays the piano, who did notice we're not singing any Christmas songs today. What do we preach on December 26th on the calendar year? My hope is that we go into the end of the year and going into the beginning of next year with a high affection for God's Word in your own heart, in your own life. Psalm 119 in the Bible is the longest chapter in the Bible. I know you might have just freaked out a little bit. Oh, here we go. We're going to read it all out loud. It's been done. I've heard it, but we're not going to do that this morning. But in Psalm 19, you find there is a common refrain, a common feeling, a common affection for God's Word. The most common words related to God's Word in Psalm 119 are delight and love. Delight 
A few verses from Psalm 119, verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Can you say that? As much as in all riches? Psalm 119, 24, your testimonies are my delight. Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments. Verse 70, I delight in your law. Verse 77, your law is my delight. 97, oh, how I love your law. 143, but your commandments are my delight. 174, and your law is my delight. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. That's the common refrain through Psalm 119, which is all about God's Word. I love it. I delight in it. I enjoy it. I treasure it. I keep it. It's a concern as a pastor for you, for our church, even for my own soul, that reading the Bible never becomes a to us, a task, just kind of a religious practice that we're supposed to keep up because that's what Christians do. They, they just read things. Bible reading should be and can be a joy. Often, reading the Bible can be painful. It's one of the reasons people don't read it. The Bible tends to read us as we read it. And it's convicting. It's hard to look into the Bible and have it be like a mirror to look back at you and say, yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah, that was wrong how you spoke to your wife. Yeah, that was wrong how you drove to work today. It can be convicting. It can be painful. It can bring up old memories. It, it can do all kinds of things. And in some ways, reading the Bible needs to be a discipline, something that we do even when we don't feel like it. Anyone who has any kind of discipline in their life will sometimes do things even if it's not the thing that they feel the most like doing in that moment. But there's even joy in that. I don't feel like going to work, but man, I love getting paid. So discipline comes in and brings me to go into that deeper love at times. I don't want to spend too much time on caveats today and we're supposed to love God's Word, but sometimes it's the discipline. We're supposed to love God's Word, but... You know, sometimes we don't feel like it. What do we do? I just want to build up a love for it by looking at it. See what the Bible says about itself. First thing I want us to see this morning is that God's Word is the foundation for the whole structure of our faith. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2. And look at verses 19 through 21. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. After Galatians, I always get Galatians and Ephesians confused in order. After Galatians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. And just see how Paul refers to the Word of God as the foundation for the whole structure of our faith. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. Paul is talking about the unity between Jews and Gentiles. Jews were, were had these promises in the Old Testament. Gentiles now are being grafted in, to use this language from Romans 11. What does that mean for us all together as one building, one people? So then, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, you, Jews and Gentiles, everyone who is in Christ, you are all built on the foundation of of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure 
being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So the whole structure, all the people of God, all the worship of God, built on the apostles and the prophets and Christ himself. I take this phrase personally, my interpretation would be that the apostles and the prophets, I think, is most likely a reference to the Old and the New Testament. There are some who might disagree with this interpretation, and it's okay for some people to be wrong. It's okay. Y'all got to lighten up a little bit. The apostles and the prophets, meaning that everything in God's word, from the beginning of his prophetic witness to the apostles themselves, all speaking both directions about Christ, that word, the prophecy, the apostolic witness and testimony, the Old Testament prophets, promises made, and the New Testament witness, promises kept, are the singular foundation of the church, the singular foundation of the whole structure of God, of God's work, everything that He is doing. In other words, Scripture is the entire, is the foundation of our entire faith. The whole structure that God is building on Jesus Christ is being built on the foundation of God's Word. So remember or consider that the the Bible, that that God's Word, Old and New Testament, is not an accessory to Christianity. It's not kind of a Christian plus package. It's just not something special for, for like mature Christians. It's the foundation on which the whole structure is built. You know, we're 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 in this day and age right now where we're breaking away from, from cable. As, as, our, as our means of entertainment and television, and we're, we're moving into app-based and these kinds of <clears throat> services, which really, guys, we are, we're just being tricked. It costs the exact same to do all the other things these days. But you, you get into these services, and you go, I'm going I'm to subscribe to Hulu, or I'm, I'm going to subscribe to Disney or something. There's always an extra add-on. Or you get in there, and you go, I'm going to subscribe. Then you realize the show that you subscribe for, you can't even watch Right? As you say, I subscribe so I can watch football. Oh, you have to add ESPN to that. The Bible's not like that. It's not like I believe in Jesus and, and, and I'm going to also kind of subscribe to the Bible. I'm going to kind of add this on the package. No, it's the foundation. It's the base package. It's the thing. It's the foundation that the whole structure is built on. It's essential. It's part of the immovability, the firmness of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. All the doctrines in the foundation are true. All the promises in the foundation are sure. All the wisdom in the foundation are unparalleled. All the strength and the beauty in the foundation is a firm place to put your feet and to delight your eyes. So think of your Bible like that. Think of your Bible like Paul talks about the apostle and the prophets as a, as a foundation. When you open your Bible, think of it as a moment where you are stepping off the shifting sand. You're stepping off the rocking boat. And you're stepping onto the foundation of the whole structure of faith. That's what it's like. Every time you take your Bible... You go, it's just me. It's just me right here. I'm going to open it up. That's a step. 
from deception, from shifting, moving, getting knocked over to take my feet and put them on solid, firm foundation. Because everything in the whole faith, everything in the whole structure is that God's building up in his people is built on the foundation of what he has said in the prophets and in the apostles. That should be our experience when we think about God's word. It's not that we go to God's word and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build something up for you today. Listen to the grace in this. I, I am going to do a thing. I'm going to add a brick to the building today by, by doing my devotion today and, and building something. No, 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 no. It's the foundation. God's the one doing the building. That's a whole other sermon, Ephesians 2.21. You are being built up. He's doing the building. It's us stepping onto a foundation. I mean, to ask you, you look, you look back in 2020, have there ever, ever been any moments in the last year, just even just one, just maybe one, where you just think, my life feels kind of shaky right now. One? One. If just, if there's none, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned. If you look back on your life, think of all the moments last year. Faith up and down, emotions up and down. What coming in your ears, the news up, down, good, bad. My, my, my emotional health, my mental health up, down, all over, scattered, all over the place. What's God's word? It's a foundation to go, to go stand on, to go rest on, to go sleep on. It's the foundation of the whole structure. By faith, when we open it, we stand on the foundation of the whole structure the prophets, and the apostles, Christ himself being the cornerstone. When you read God's word, think of it. Think of it like stepping onto a foundation. Secondly, the whole Bible gets us to Jesus Christ in all his glory. The whole Bible gets us to Jesus Christ in all his glory. Go with me to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. So we've got three passages this morning. Ephesians, where we were just there. Luke 24, and then we'll finish in Psalm 119. The whole Bible gets us to Jesus. There's never, ever, a passage of Scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21 where we go, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's clearly about Jesus. But Ezekiel, that's about the exile. Moses, that's about salvation from Pharaoh. It's all about Jesus. Everything is getting us to Jesus in the Bible. And it's Jesus himself that tells us that. Luke chapter 24, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with two disciples whom do not recognize him at first. They're a bit saddened because the Messiah they had hoped in had died on the cross. They had not realized that Jesus had now risen from the dead and he was even with them. Jesus, in Luke chapter 24, look what he says, Luke 24, verses 25 to 27. And he said to them, those two men, two disciples, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And listen to this, verse 27. 
Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the scriptures. I mean, I, I have set under what I think are some of just the highest caliber teachers, preachers, experience, good, solid minds in seminary education, online, preaching. Can you imagine Jesus saying, listen, let's start with Moses. We're going to go through all the prophets, and I'm going to show you how everything is concerning me. I mean, what a, what a, what a Bible study. The whole Bible is getting us to Jesus dying on the cross for sinners, which is his glory. When we begin to behold the glory that is in Jesus Christ, we, we almost might ought to expect that if we opened it, it would just burst into rays of visible glory. I, just the amount of everything in existence, everything God has done, Moses through the prophets, everything God is doing is toward the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus entering into his own glory through the cross for sinners. From the moment in the garden when God promised that Eve would have seed that would crush the head of the serpent to the moment in Revelation where Jesus is seen as the slain lamb and then the conquering king. Everything is pointing us forwards or backwards to Jesus going to the cross towards Jesus' glory forever and forever and forever. Everything's pointing towards Jesus entering glory. When you pick up your Bible, just know no matter what ramp you get on, no matter what on-ramp you get on, no matter what road you take, no matter what, what inlet or drive or whatever, however, whatever verse you get in, it goes to Jesus Christ dying on the cross for sinners, then entering his glory, his glorification. And all the roads in the Bible lead to Christ in all of his glory. When I open my Bible, I can know it's getting me from the humdrum gray life, the dead sin in my flesh and my life. It's getting me to Jesus on the cross and glory every time I open it. Look a few verses later in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 47. It's getting us specifically to Christ's crucifixion and our personal salvation. Luke 24, verses 44 to 47. Then he said to them, after he had risen, went to meet with his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and he adds here, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus making sense of his own death and resurrection as just a simple fulfilling of the ultimate. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Listen, Jesus is teaching us how to read and understand our whole Bibles as one together. That every ink dot, every drop, every word of prophecy in Scripture is an arrow to Jesus Christ crucified 
for our sin to be proclaimed to the whole world. So every time I go to read my Bible, I know that where it is getting, I know that where it is going, no matter what lane I jump in on, it's getting me onto the covenantal highway, if you will, to Jesus dying on the cross for my sin. That's where it's going every time. It's leading every. It's never going to lead you to a place where you read this and go, okay, this is what God's word says, so I have to do this so God's not mad at me today. It's leading us always to Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. That's what the whole point of the whole scriptures are about. And that's not like an interpretive tool. Oh, well, you know, that's Nathan's version of the Bible. That's a seminary education, high level version of all the Bible fits together and points. No, that's Jesus' idea. That's Jesus' point. You pick up any point in the Bible, it takes you to Jesus Christ. This is the difference from Christians believing in Jesus Christ and reading our Bibles from every other religion on the face of the earth. Every other religion, just pick it, Mormonism, which is not Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, go down the list. They are all about subscribing to religious ideals and principles in a way where you do good for God to maybe like you. Maybe give you some favor. In Islam, you really have no idea. You're just hoping maybe my good will outweigh my bad at the end. Christianity is different. And it is unique. A holy God is willing and desirous to forgive bad people. By his grace, by his mercy, by, by no deserving of us, by no working our way toward him. He is merciful and loving. He sent Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. The whole Bible is getting us on the covenantal highway, if you will, to Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. You go read the Bible, it's going to show you your sin. It's going to show you your sin. It, will, it ought to convict if the Spirit is working in your life. It ought to make you feel awful about yourself. It ought to make you regret things that you've done, thought, said, heard, seen, acted. It ought to make known your sin to you. But it gets you in the car. It brings your sin. It drives you all the way to the cross where it says, let's take care of our sin there where Jesus Christ died, was crucified for sinners. Don't make the Bible about moralism. Don't make the Bible about moralism. Me doing good. Me being good. What Jesus is saying about this is that the entire Bible is always getting to him. It's always getting to him on the cross for our sins. We can misread a lot of the Bible if we don't let it get to Jesus eventually. Classic, perfect, easy to reach example is David and Goliath. You're going through your Bible, you're, you're reading 1 Samuel 17, you come up to David and Goliath, and you've got Saul, he's too afraid to go, to go kill Goliath or even fight him. You've got all the Israelites standing back here behind Saul, they're all afraid to go kill Goliath. And you've got David who comes out of the shepherd fields, and he, he comes strolling in here with a bunch of cheese, and he's a you know, little scrawny kid, he can't even wear the armor. He goes out onto the battlefield, he says, you cannot tell me no, I'm going to... I'm going to kill you this day, Goliath. And David slings the stone, 
Five stones, five stones, five stones, slings one stone, hits Goliath right in the head. David comes over, finds Goliath on the ground. Just to make sure we get the full story and the full picture. David cuts off Goliath's head. He takes it back and he shows David, or shows Saul, excuse me. And it's easy to read that and go, man, first and foremost, the only implication for me is that I'm supposed to be like David. And that's true. I mean, that's true. All, all of the heroes, when they are doing heroic things, they're good examples for us. We're to look at prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and go, we ought to be prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We ought to look at men like Gideon and go, we ought to have faith like Gideon. But the main point in the story of David and Goliath is that we are terrified Israelites back here not trusting God. We're not David. We're the one looking for a king to come and save us because we are low in faith and we don't have what it takes. Jesus is the king. That's why Matthew was talking about Jesus being born. That's the meaning of Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 1. Son of Abraham, son of who? Son of David. Here's a better David. Here's the real, here's the real thing that we always needed, an eternal David. A, a God David. I'm starting, I'm, I'm starting to preach 1 Samuel 17. Let's, let's keep going. It gets us to Christ. It doesn't tell you to be better. It doesn't tell you to, to do better and quit sinning. And, and if so, God will be happy with you. It tells you Jesus is the king. Jesus' point is everything from Genesis to Revelation is taking us to Jesus on the cross. The prophets look forward to it. The angels in heaven look backwards and remember it, rejoicing it. So listen, when you pick up your Bible, you're not picking up a rule book going, hey, this is all the things you need to do today, and if you don't, God won't like you. Well, we ought to have burden in our soul for holiness. But first and foremost, we come here and we read about our own sin being forgiven. You might have to get through the pain of realizing your sin. You might have to get through the discomfort of having the Bible read you as you read it. But stay on the road. It always takes you to the cross. It always takes you to Jesus crucified for our sin. You know what that does, guys? That ought to make us go... I want to read it. I want to pick it up. There, there's good news in here for me, not bad news for me. Thirdly, delight in the law of God as a lamp for your feet. Delight in the law of God as a lamp for your feet. Do you think of God's word mostly as a rule to be followed, excuse me, or as a lamp that lights your way? I think it's easy to think kind of how Jesus talks about the Sabbath and the, the Pharisees and their understanding of the Sabbath that God created the Sabbath and then he created a bunch of people to obey it. And Jesus comes and says, no, 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 the Sabbath was created for man. I think it's the same way with God's, God's word at times. We think God, God created the world then created a bunch of people just to come obey it. Now, that's the simple verb. We, we think that God's word is there as a law for us to, to follow. And in a very profound eternal sense, yes, that's true in God's purposes for but that's not our only relationship to God's Word. That, that it's there, my only relationship. It's a law for me. If that's the case, if that's your understanding of Scripture, that it is a law for me to obey, that's it, then it is a burden. It is a burden. It's a weight to us. The weight of perfect obedience is a weight that we cannot care. 
Who can keep God's word? Who can keep God's rules, God's statutes? Who can live up to God's nature, which is the foundation of His word and His law? The answer is no one. Let me just ask you, have you tried tried to be good lately? Have you ever tried to be good like God, like Christ? It's, It's not fun. You can't do it. It's really frustrating. We know that we can do it. Who, who can live up to God's nature? If that's the goal of the Bible, to get us perfectly compliant with all of God's law, the Bible is defeating and demoralizing. Who can, who can bear it? But there's another way to view Scripture. Don't forget that. There's another, view, another way to view Scripture as a lamp. God's Word is a lamp to us in darkness. Isn't that helpful? Isn't that, isn't that useful? We're, we're almost never in the dark these days, especially here in the city. Right now, we've got Christmas lights from our neighbor's house shining into one side of our house. We can't get it dark if we wanted to. We've got street lights outside. Even, even if, if you are in the dark, tell me if this is not a comfort to you, even if it's the darkest dark in your house, the oven light across the kitchen, anyone use this as a guide I can't see anything else, but I see the oven light, so I know there's an island and there's this, and I left this drawer open so I can get it. Just that light is helpful. We really don't know darkness. <coughs> That's what light is for to guide through darkness, <coughs> to direct us, to illuminate, to show us the way. Now, this can be strange for us. Because we hear the synonym for God's word in Psalm, which we read several times today in Psalm 119. God's word is referred to as the law, as a law. You might hear words like statute. God's word is a commandment or principles. All these things are directing words that expect adherence and reverence. Laws obviously call for obedience. That's, that's kind of the point of a law. So I think sometimes we feel kind of stuck. Well, well, which is it? Is the Word of God, is it a law to be kept or is it a lamp to our feet? Is it, is it a law or is it a lamp? Is this something I'm supposed to obey or is this something that's helping me? Look in Psalm chapter 119, verse 105 to 106. And watch the author there put those two things together. <coughs> Understand what the psalmist means by the law. Psalm 119, verse 105, one of the most memorized passages of Scripture in the Bible. One of our favorites, right? Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. This is one of those delighting, rejoicing verses. I'm so glad your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that is... That's beautiful, it's gracious, it's help, it's light instead of darkness, it's pain-free instead of stepping on Legos. Look at verse 106. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Well, then we just switch images there. We just went from lamp to help us to rules that we're supposed to follow. Well, which is it? The law, your word, is the lamp. 
It's like the psalmist is saying, I have sworn an oath to follow this flashlight through the dark. I wonder if some of us have just never settled why the word gets called law or rules or commandments. Are we still thinking that we're supposed to do good and be good in order to have God's favor? Somewhere we just can't escape the feeling that we're, we're told grace, we're, we're told and we, and we sing amazing grace, but really deep down, sounds to me like God's asking us to obey His laws. And that kind of feeling shows up for us in one way, I think. It can manifest, that, that thought can manifest itself this way in that I don't want to pick up my Bible. I don't enjoy picking. Who signs up for more rules? I, I just don't think anyone's spending their vacation time this week going, I cannot wait to get to work. Because as soon as I do, I'm marching right into the boss's office. I'm going to ask him to give me more policies. I'm just dying for some more statutes to be posted in the copy room so that I can try to obey some more rules. No, most of us are thinking we are being policied to death. Can't keep, I don't even know the policies, right? <laughs> but is it a lamp or is it a, is it a law? We're weary of picking up the lamp because we think it only functions like a law. Friends, the only way that we can be saved from sin, the only way that we can be seen as achieving the law is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. There is no amount of obedience of Psalm 119 on our behalf, on our doing, that can ever do away with our sin or measure up to God's perfect holiness. If we read the Bible that way, well, I think we'll just quit reading the Bible. We'll just put it down. What motivation is there to add more rules to my life that I already know I cannot follow? No, it's only grace through Christ that we are forgiven from our sin. So then Psalm 119, as it talks about the law over and over and over in the Psalms and, and even through the prophets and with Paul in Romans chapter 7, the, the law was never there as something that we could obey. It couldn't be done. It, it can't be done. But the law does become for us a lamp. God's word becomes for us a lamp in this life. Not something we're trying to fulfill in order to be saved and forgiven, right staying for God. That comes through Jesus Christ. The word of God then becomes a law, a lamp for us to live our lives in pleasure with God, enjoying God, blessed by God, sure-footed with God. So being a child of God, then having a, a copy of God's word is kind of like God the Father saying, I've sent Jesus Christ to, to die for you and your sins. Those who believe, we read in John chapter 1, those to, to those whom believe and who accept and receive Jesus Christ, he has given them to become children of God. Who are those who are God's but those who believe in Jesus Christ? We're saved only by grace through faith. But then God the Father comes to us with the Word, and the Word is like a dad coming up to, to a son at summer camp out in the dark, out in the woods, and saying, come here, son. Here's a flashlight. Here's a light. Everything I ever say is written in here. 
And it's gonna help you, it's gonna guide you, it's gonna be a light to your path. It can't save you. And you're obeying it can't save you. But it is a lamp to your feet your entire life. We need direction. We need help. We need illumination. And this is what God's Word does. It does all kinds of things for us. Helps us in all kinds of ways. If you were to go and Google just the two words, how to. Maybe you looked before for how to fix a bathroom sink or how to change your own car oil or something like that. Just the words how to bring up like 20 and a half billion answers. How to. We are people who are regularly searching for how to. At least we should be. We don't always search how to, right? We don't always want to know. We don't always want someone to tell us. We're not always willing to Google. We're not always willing to pull up the map. We're not always willing to look at the instructions when we put the baby crib together. We're not always willing to look at the instructions when we buy something. Actually, I take that back. When it's, when it's from Ikea, I think we all use the instructions. We know better. That's pride. I don't need help. I don't need a lamp. I don't need a light. I don't need direction. But the instructions are freeing. The flashlight is, is freeing. When you get the instructions, if you, if you have the Ikea package and you don't have the instructions, it's a big pile of wood and screws and that one tool. And what do you, where does it go? What do you do with that? Who know, no one knows. Someone in Sweden knows. You don't. Unless you have the instructions. This is what God's Word is, a lamp for our feet. Just look in Psalm chapter 119 and look at a few things that God's Word does for us practically. Ways that it lights and illuminates our lives. Look quickly, Psalm chapter 119, verse 5 and 6. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Help me keep your statutes. I want to be doing that. Then, the psalmist believes, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Help me keep your statutes because I know that when I keep the foundation, when I live by the lamp of your word, I'm not going to be put to shame. I might be mocked. I might be scorned. People might think I'm foolish, but in the end, I will not be put to shame. Practically speaking, the lamp of the law of God's word is the way to be on the right side of history. It's the way that I obey God and walk with him. My choices, my plans. You get to the end of the day. You put your head on your pillow. You get to the end of your life. You get to the end of time. You'll never perfect except through Jesus Christ. But you can say, I followed God's word. I lived by it. I repented by it. My sin was made aware by it. It was a lamp to my feet. And it has been proven true. You won't be put to shame. You won't have to wonder what they're going to say at your funeral. Psalm 119, verse 19 through 20. This is the way the whole of Psalm chapter 119 works over and over. Psalm 119, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all time. Now that might sound strange to us. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all time. Now again, we've, we've talked about that sounds weird. Longing for rules. What? Well, God's word is like a map for a sojourner on earth. 
The Bible is our Apple Maps, our Google Maps to, to get around. I, I've lived in Austin almost 11 years, and still to this day, there are just a lot of places where I can't get there, at least not quickly and efficiently, unless I put it in my phone. It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter how long I've been here. I mean, just write down 183 and go into a store. I've got to put it, put it in my phone because I don't know what exit to take. I don't know how people, how do people go anywhere before Apple Maps? I have no idea. This is how God's word works. We're, we're sojourners on earth. This is not our land. This is not our home. Oh, God, don't hide your con- commandments from me. I'm, I'm consumed with longing for your rules. Why? Because I'm lost here without them. Psalm 119, verse 51 to 52. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. In a world that scoffs and mocks at Christians, we can read God's word and we can take comfort. The whole world is saying this to us, but when I go to hear God's word, he is saying this to me, and it's comforting. These are just a few samples, just a few, a few Sam's Club kind of taste for you to see what it's like to be in God's word. Comforting, illuminating, like it's like a map. It keeps us from being ashamed of our lives. Are these rules to be followed or are they a lamp to our feet? Well, it's that God's rules, it's that His commandments, that His ways are the lamp to our feet. The rules, the statutes, the principles, the direction, the law of God is the light in the darkness, the map, the comfort for the persecuted and worn down. It's getting us through all kinds of situations in life. In fact, Paul says it like this, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God being one word, theonoustos, God's breath. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. God's word is able to equip us for every good work, like a lamp to our feet, like medicine for the wounded, as direction for the lost. It equips us for every good thing God wants us to do, every good work. When you go to open your Bibles, don't just think, well, here's some more laws being laid down on my shoulders that I'm supposed to obey today. That's Christ's burden. Only in Christ can we be seen as righteous before God. Now, when we get to open this, this is finally us admitting, man, I'm going to need some instructions for this today. (laughs) I'm going to need to open the map today. I'm going to quit walking around the dark with my flashlight in my pocket. I'm going to walk in the light. I think an example of what that looks like comes from John Cow himself. This is a book I mentioned. I recommend it to you. It's brief, very easy to read. Probably a good thing to support financially. This is a collection of John Cow's poems from prison where he still sits today. You've got the first several pages of words about John and friends of his, and the rest are poems in English next to Chinese. 
I'm going to read some of the, a couple of poems here, obviously, in English. Since to seven years in prison, a few years in, this is John's poem, a short poem called A Little Too Long. Seven years of suffering seems a little too long, but the Holy Spirit gives me courage to bear. Taking this opportunity to sharpen the knife, to train my heart, to be ready, to protect the sheep from the wolves, even if it seems a little too long. You can hear John thinking, how long am I going to be here? God, seven years from my family, from children, from friends, from food, from health. You can hear the passage of the scripture that he's thinking about in these verses. I want to read another poem. I think it just shows his heart reflecting on Scripture, namely because he puts it into the title. A few pages later, he has this poem called An Ode to Anna the Prophetess. In parentheses, Luke chapter 2, verse 36 to 38. You may remember this, or you may not have remembered this. This is right after the Christmas story is ended in Luke chapter 2. But Jesus is in the temple, and a prophetess named Anna, who was promised that she would see the Christ before she died, sees the Christ. And this is John's poem, Reflections on Luke chapter 2, Anna the Prophetess. He gives an ode to her. She lived as a widow for 80 years, worshiping day and night, finding happiness in fasting and praying. Benevolent and sweet, her temper, the holy infant recognized her blessed eyes. She spread the good news of redemption leaving the earth with no regrets. She attained eternal peace in the celestial city. Now, I was reading through this this week, just kind of wondering what was there, how the poems work, what they're about. One thing I did not expect to see, and it's a good lesson for us when we open up our own Bibles, is that a man in prison in China would be encouraged about the length and the time of his life and imprisonment by the prophetess Anna in Luke 2. I just would never have seen it coming. I would never see her waiting for the Messiah being comfort for John, who's waiting himself for the Messiah's release or till he meets the Lord. I can't in, in a thousand years imagine being on a team writing John, John's lawyers, John's friends, going, hey, let's, let's put together some notes. Let's put together some cards. Let's put together a letter. Let's write John and encourage him. Yeah, let's, let's add some scripture. Where are we going to put in there? I know Luke 2, Anna the prophetess. I don't think that was coming up. But as I read through the poems, I just look at this and I go, assuming these maybe were written in this order, at least presented to us in this order, I look at this and I go, I, I see John opening up Luke 2, a man waiting for the arrival, for the coming, for the freedom of the Lord, finding a friend and a woman who was waiting for the arrival 
and the freedom of the Lord. This is exactly what Psalm 119 is talking about over and over and over and over. A comfort, lamp to my feet, map as a sojourner on this earth. How do I respond to my enemies? There's a poem about that. How how do I navigate wealth and riches? Scripture teaches me about this. Every good work that God wants from us as followers of Christ, we can be equipped for it by the law working as a lamp for us. My hope is that you would read Scripture this week, this year, opening it up, going, I can't wait to get off the faulty ground of believing my own heart and standing on the foundation of God's word. I can't wait to get out of the muck of the news and my own sin, my own attitude and everything the world is saying and the glory of men. I can't wait to get from there to open up God's word and get on a road that leads me to Christ crucified for my sin where he went to enter into his own glory and see something wonderful and beautiful and gracious and good. And oh God, I need your word. I'm in a very dark place, far, far from home. I can't wait to open your word and let it lighten my path that I would know where to go and how to live. It's joy. The burden of our righteousness is on Christ. God's word is a lamp to our feet. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your grace to us in Jesus Christ. For loving us despite our sin. For being patient with us. Father, I pray that as we open your word today, as we have and as we sing, that you would give us a, a, a love for your word. Help us read it, help us meditate on it, help us dwell on it and study it and memorize it and help our affections be raised today. Help us to leave here seeing it as a foundation and we would go to experience it as foundation. And that we would see it as a way to glory, that we would see it as light to our feet. By your spirit, would you help us do that? And these, these days where we have extra time this week, would you help us Record more time in your word than on our phones. Help us record extra time when we have extra time in your word. Out of our own joy, out of our own need and our own humility, looking for direction. Help us have the strength to study it and meditate and think about it for days. Father, thank you for the the, the word of God, for your word which leads us to Jesus Christ where our sins are forgiven. Thank you, Father, that your word is not a a rule book that we're to follow for our own salvation, but a guide that leads us to Christ who was crucified for our salvation. Help us to remember, Father, that the glory of Christ is our forgiveness, that when we pick up your word, we're picking up our own means, reminder, news, testimony of our forgiveness. Help it to be as light as a feather in our laps. Help it to be a weighty glory in our minds and hearts. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.